Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Internet Marketing. Hello everyone. The day is bright for me. I hope it's bright where you are. If it's not that bright, maybe I can brighten it up with our podcast episode today because I have a very special guest. It's co-founder and CEO of Spark Toro. You might know him formerly from of Moz. It's Rand Fishkin. Say hello, Rand. Hey Scott. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. Um does it feel strange to be introduced uh, as being from Spark Toro yet? Is that how's that going? Oh no, I, yeah, maybe it felt weird the first six months, but it's been it's been a couple of years now, so yeah. no, it feels right. Good, no, good. I'm I'm glad. I was thinking, you know, we won't be covering too much from Moz today, um, but you know, there's no journey of Spark Toro, which is what we'll be talking about today, if we don't touch on Moz and your time at Moz. Sure. Um, and, and I always wonder, you know, when you've built a company like Moz and then you eventually move away from that company, but that company is still in existence, is, I, I just wondered, is that is that weird? Do you find yourself still looking at the website and thinking, oh, no, don't do that or do this? Still <laughs> kind of... I mean, I did that kind of my last four years at the company. So I think, <laughs> um, no, I've, I've settled into the, um, I don't know, uncomfortable reality that that I don't have the ability to change uh, things at Moz. And so, yeah, I just put that energy into SparkToro, which is, which is great. Excellent. And um, like I said, so we're talking, uh, we won't be talking too much about Moz. If anyone wants to know your history and background to Moz, I'd uh, highly recommend your book, Lost and Founder, which is available pretty much anywhere you can get books. Um, and I think we've already maybe recorded an episode with you historically sometime in the past about Lost and Founder and recorded with you before, so you can go back and check those episodes. Um, but today is going to be all about Spark Toro and your journey so far. As we record this episode, I think it's three weeks or so, just moving into the third week. Um, since Spark Toro launched, and uh, I imagine you're experiencing a range uh, of emotions and obstacles and challenges and interests right now. Is that roughly where you're at? A bit of everything. Yeah, that sounds that sounds accurate. It's not um, certainly not the ideal uh, economic environment that we hope to be launching in. You know, everyone's budgets are way down. Tons of people have their corporate cards pulled. Lots of people have to get approval through finance that didn't you know, 10 weeks ago. And there's a lot of, lot of fear and uncertainty uh, in, in the climate. And I think that is 
potentially going to get worse before it gets better. So we're, we're, we're just settling in for a long, uh, challenging haul to try and build this thing. But hopefully, you know, if we can survive, we'll come out the other end okay. Mm. I'll hold that thought because um, I've got kind of plenty of, I guess uh, there's lots of curiosity around launching a product in this time and we'll go into that. But um, starting off at the very beginning, so I think it was around, I remember there was a very heartfelt post from the time when you left Moz. Um, I think that was around February 2018, um, a couple of years ago now. And what I really want to know and get into is how then did the idea and development of SparkToro come about? Is, was audience intelligence something that was on your radar at that time and you wanted to introduce to Moz or was it something that came after you kind of exited from Moz at that time? Yeah, it was something I was thinking about my last few years at the company. Uh, we, my co-founder Casey and I um, had this sort of uh, inspiration from some of the research we had done about how people were solving problems of, of reaching an audience, especially reaching an audience that didn't search for a product or service, right? So if you're an SEO or you're in search marketing, you know, you, as a marketer, you, you look at the landscape through that lens, right? And when, and I'm sure this has happened to you, Scott, right? You encounter a product or a company where no, no one's actually searching for what they're selling. Right, they have to basically make people aware of their solution to this problem, and search is not a good avenue to do that. Uh, you know, some forms of content marketing maybe can get you there a little bit. Um, I think social media marketing is a way to go. Obviously, folks have turned to influencer marketing, brand advertising has been around for a long time, but it's just it's just a big, big challenge. And when we looked at you know, trying to solve that problem, we found it was a, an oddly empty space. Like that mm. one, that one challenging question of, uh, how do I reach my audience through the channels they already pay attention to is confounding. Just finding the channels that they pay attention to, right? What, if I want to, um, go and find owners of auto detailing shops in the United States and reach them, I'm sure there's some trade magazines they read. There's probably some conferences and events they go to. There's probably YouTube channels they subscribe to and podcasts they listen to and websites they visit and people and accounts they follow on social. But I, I don't know what they are, right? And figuring that out, if you don't know the sector already, is brutal. You know, it's mm. months of work. Um, so we thought, hey, let's, let's see if uh, large-scale data crawled from the web and social accounts can solve this and yeah that was our that was our theory and it, it turned out to work yeah um it's interesting you say that because i uh i'm a software nerd i love tools uh experimentation with new tools i think somewhere in your book you mentioned kind of being on product hunt and um you know being almost obsessed with what the trends in software are and just in the marketing space there's lots of tools that help you tactically you know, they can help you identify competitors' links or um, help you know who's most influential in the social media space. But in preparation for both this podcast and just following SparkToro since since launch and beyond over the last couple of years, I think it fills a space um, for strategy and marketing strategy. And that's so interesting to me because I never thought it was possible that a tool could 
it can't completely replicate uh, replicate strategy or fill that gap entirely, but it puts you in a really good direction. And yeah, um, the, yeah. The, the you know the the closest analogy for us is sort of the data that's been available to media buyers um, on traditional advertising channels, right? TV, radio, outdoor. Um, for you know 50 60 years right and they basically provide demographic data so well you know we can tell you that this 8 p.m time slot on cbs you know this particular show is watched by this share of people and here's how many of them we estimate and they're between whatever 60 and 80 years old and they tend to be male or you know whatever it is right that kind of that kind of stuff and that was you know, not really strategy, but it told media buyers from from now a bygone era um, potentially where to allocate their dollars if they wanted to reach people like that. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird that the internet age, right, an age in which there's so much data available, so many tools available, uh, hasn't provided that yet. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll see SparkToro uh, kick off a little bit of a, um, you know, be an inciting factor uh, in in catalyzing some innovation in that space. Uh, I, I found it immensely helpful. I've been using it um, just for full disclosure. Rand gave me a kind of press review account to help me with the questioning and the topics around this podcast. And I, I've really enjoyed using it and um, outside of this podcast i've got a ton of feedback and a uh, and a ton of other stuff to share with you around the product but i'm really excited for it so uh, we'll talk about that um so I, um we were just talking about this before pressing record but uh, you're not in shed the toro but are you still a um essentially a two-person company with an extended network of consultants that are supporting you is that still how it's running at the operating at the moment yeah pretty much just uh, just me and casey most of our I was going to say most of our consultants aren't actively working now that we've launched. Um, but I, I have a suspicion we'll probably, you know, that'll be an ebb and flow kind of thing. And um, with the goals for the company and just in your own words, could you summarize and maybe the context of other software might help, but if you could summarize for our listeners, what Spark Toro is in your own words. So audience intelligence is a phrase that I've seen often come up. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, at the core, SparkToro is a very, very simple tool. You search for any describable audience. Uh, we pull from tens of millions of profiles and and billions of individual uh, data points that are crawled from the web and social accounts, and we return to you attributes about that audience. So, if you want to know more about, you know owners of auto detailing shops in the US or software architects in Canada or uh, marketing directors in the UK, uh, you can search for that audience in SparkToro and we will return things like what podcasts are most listened to by that group, what websites they visit most, what social accounts do they follow most, uh, what YouTube channels they subscribe to, uh, what words and phrases most frequently appear in their bio and profile, what appears in the content of their shares, where are they geographically located, all those kinds of data points that are uh, easily crawled and have no personally identifiable information. That is what's available in SparkToro. 
And it's it's funny you mentioned the no personally identifiable information because if there's another differentiator between this product and other products in the marketing space, and this really took me a while um, to almost get my head around how it works because it's so interesting, but it's essentially um, full crawls of data and then subsets of that data. So I think you refer to them as audience profiles within the within the software. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it was it was a really interesting concept for me as I started to use it to get my head around. Okay, we're not focusing on specific influences here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're focusing on trends in audiences and what they're looking for. And uh, that was really as soon as I kind of got into that mind space, which was different from other tools that I've used. I was like, ah, this is genius. This can help me understand a little bit more about where I focus my attention. In terms yeah, of yeah. like what we don't want to do, you know, my frustration with most tools that are in, well, so the influencer marketing space is one that we intentionally want to stay away from, which is why you see so little data, almost no data about Instagram uh, in SparkToro. You know, we early on, we were sort of like, oh, but Instagram has some really cool data. And I think we will eventually get there. But we did not want to be uh, even thought of that way. And so we intentionally don't. Uh, go deep on Instagram. But, um, you know, m- most of those tools, you do a search and and the results that you get are uh, the, the tool searches the bio of the influencers and tries to figure out if there's a match, right? So if you search for auto detailing, they look for influencers who say auto detailing, or who use that hashtag or whatever. And then they sort them by the the ones that have the most followers. And that's not actually what you want, right? As a marketer, you don't care if a person on Instagram mentions the word auto detailing uh, a few times or once and has a million followers. What you care about is if a million people or 10,000 people who uh, say in their job title, owner of an auto detailing shop, owner of an auto body shop, uh, you care about what those 10,000 people follow, listen to, read, watch, because that's the audience you're actually trying to reach. And the influencer marketing thing to us has has the equation entirely backward, right? It's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of like telling you, oh, yeah, um, CSI Miami mentioned auto detailing this week. You should advertise on, on that show. No, that's, that's dumb. <laughs> if, no, yeah. if no auto detailers watch that show, why would I... Why would I advertise there? Um, so that, that's sort of how you know we conceptualize the uh, the slight difference, slight difference, but makes a big difference in terms of uh, being able to help with strategy. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely with strategy, it's a huge difference. I, I definitely consider it a strategic tool. Um, so one of the things again that I was thinking of that must be, and I'm just looking for some insight from you whether this is an obstacle or not. But working with such big data sets, obviously you've got that experience from Moz. Uh, I guess a similar amount of experience in terms of the data sets, but in a way, this I think this. Um, so you cover YouTube podcasts as well. Uh, what are the major challenges when you're working with such huge data sets? Yeah, so SparkToro right now is um, a good deal smaller than than the Moz Link Index uh, in terms of size. So there there is that, which is nice. It's also um, much less frequently refreshed. And this is because it can sort of get away with this because we don't tend to change sort of who we are or how we represent ourselves on the web uh, very frequently. So, you know, Casey and I, when we started 
crawling. We um, one of our concerns was how frequently do we have to refresh the index of we, we have about 70 ish million profiles uh, in our database right now. And, and we were like, OK, how how often do we have to crawl their you know, website about pages and their LinkedIn and their Twitter and their Facebook page and their Instagram and Reddit and YouTube, blah, 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 blah. And the answer was, you know, rarely. Uh, people don't tend to change these, you know, maybe once a hun- every 100 days or so, do these things really substantively change? Um, we obviously want to get, you know, capture new data about new things people are following or when, when people stop following things, um, what they're sharing. So it, it does pay to, you know, get it maybe once a quarter. But Moz, you know, Moz had to update its link index every 24 hours, right? So that was, that was a, okay, how do we crawl the internet almost as fast as Google? And we want all of it because everyone needs to know all their links. Um, that was, uh, that was a true pain that required, you know, a level of software engineering architecture that is, uh, far beyond what we've had to do with SparkToro, at least so far. Um, and, and was ludicrously expensive too, especially in the early years, you know, most, most every dollar that Moz made, um, went into that. So, yeah. And during the, the process of creating SparkToro over these last couple of years have you any have you hit any major obstacles that have made you you and Casey sit down and think is this even going to work um or you know has it been fairly smooth since the concept how's that gone um yeah we've had I would say that first nine ten months we had a lot of skepticism about whether what we were building would even do the job um, and what scale we had to get to before it did the job competently. So we, um, yeah, I think we had we had a lot of nervousness uh, up until probably about May June of last year. So you know, a little less than a year ago. Uh, but then, a- as Casey had been building the the alpha version, right, the one that basically just he and I played with. Um, as that index was growing, we could see that more and more searches that we performed in more and more niche industries and more and more niche you know, titles and interests uh, produced really good-looking results. And we, yeah, that that made us feel pr- pretty awesome. Um, I would say, yeah, it was it was early last summer. When we had this, like, oh my god, it's alive! It's gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> that was gonna be one of my one of my next questions. Is uh, have you yeah, have you had those moments where you're like, ah, this is gonna work, and you start to see it coming to life? It sounds like that was one of them. Um, reading, I think I, it was in your your launch post about Spark Toro. Uh, I think you mentioned that it started to come to life even more when you changed the user interface. Yeah, yeah. So Another, we had we had sort of day. two two big changes to the UI. Uh, the first big one, which is which is still in there, is sort of how you can search. There's like these five different ways you can search. So you can say, my audience frequently talks about a subject, right? Maybe my audience frequently talks about comic books, or my audience frequently talks about classic cars, or my audience frequently talks about HVAC systems. Um, or you can search by uh, uses these words in their profile, which, which basically means, you know, their job title and role and how they describe themselves. 
uh, or you can search by follows a social account or website or uses a hashtag. And when we when we changed the UI to be able to support those, we were able to find just a lot more um, usability and usefulness in searching. And it, like it made sense to people; they'd see that one sentence, and it was, "Oh, I get data about an audience." And I describe my audience in this sentence. My audience follows the social account, you know, at National Park Service. And then you see all this stuff about people who are outdoorsy and go to parks, right? Um, and that, it didn't just click with us. Like, it clicked with users the first time they saw it. And I think that was a big aha moment for us. Mm, I think the... Um the one of the big aha moments for me using the tool recently has actually been the move away from just social media um audiences to podcasts and youtube audiences as well and sure, then yeah. i'm thinking and then i'm thinking ah okay so it, it reminds you that you know a lot of other marketing tools that are uh, I guess similar in functionality in this space um they will show you uh you know twitter influencer scores or instagram scores or total number of followers and then you realize ah there's this whole you know youtube audience that i've got to pay attention to and also in terms of what we're doing now podcasting and the podcast audiences so that's been a key moment for me to think ah there's a whole and um i've tested it up for our website site for visibility and lots of uh, different clients and friends and personal projects and it's really helped me uncover hidden gems it's funny we talk about that as a, a name of a filter in the tool as well but hidden gems podcasts that perhaps i wasn't aware of in a particular mm. niche industry and then you can start to think well people are paying attention over there maybe i should go collaborate with them in some way and that's where yes. the strategic yeah. is which is so interesting um okay so uh the product's been in development you've had a, a few key aha moments and then you're i guess when when were you first re when did you first realize that you were ready for launch when did that moment come about? Uh, we were actually really nervous about this. I, I bet a lot of startup founders and builders, you know, even people who are just creating um, uh, like content are trying to figure out, okay, when is it polished enough? When is it good enough to launch? And because we had a large audience, right, we'd built up sort of an email list of about 20,000 people uh, who said, yeah, notify me when, when you guys launch. Um, we knew we would have a lot of eyeballs and a lot of people would sort of be judging the tool based on the V1, right? So fast forward five years from now, we knew there'd be thousands, if not tens of thousands, or even hundreds of thousands of marketers who would say like, oh, SparkToro, I know what that is. I tried it once five years ago, and so I know what it is. And it, it wouldn't really matter if we had gotten a hundred times better. I saw this with Moz, you know, Moz... We did a big launch in, what was that, 2012, 2013, of a new tool. We called it Moz Analytics. Um, it was not very successful. In fact, the, the, the tool had tons and tons of problems. Uh, but unfortunately, we'd, built, we'd done an amazing job building buzz around it. Just extraordinary. Probably the best marketing of my life was uh, getting people's eyeballs on that tool. I think we had close to a quarter million people try it in one form or another uh in the first two or three months so wow. just i was, I was one of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right. using just, it funnily, yeah yep and and you and if you used it it was mostly broken most of the functions <laughs> didn't work it seemed the the 
product definitely did not fulfill the promise of sort of tying together all these different channels with with search and SEO and mm-hmm. and content and social and email and blah blah blah. Um, and yeah, I think that was like a never again moment for me. Right, I'm not. I'm not going to launch MVPs <laughs> anymore. Um, so we, in the fall of last year, you know, I think Casey and I were kind of like, well, maybe, you know, maybe we're sort of ready, uh, but we can't really tell. Let's uh, let's hire some folks to help us out. And so we turned to Elevate, which is um, a consultancy of Claire Solentrop and uh, Georgiana Laudi, um, who was previously at Unbounce. And the two of them basically uh, analyzed all of our user and usage data, went through all of our beta testers' uh, comments and feedback and responses. Um, They talked to some of those folks, right? They used the tool themselves uh, and then gave us kind of a roadmap of do these things before you launch. Um, And and yeah, that's, that's basically what gave us the confidence to say, okay, here's what we, here's what we kind of need to do. And one of the things they uncovered um, was, hey, we, this user interface, you know, the old UI of SparkTor, which I showed in the launch post, um, that needs to change, right? That's got a, it needs to be more modern. Uh, So we hired, yeah, we hired a contract um, UI visual designer out of Australia, actually. Um, who worked over Christmas, like Christmas Day, literally. <laughs> he, he was emailing with designs and comps. I was like, man, he, this is- he just does the shout out then. What's his name? Uh, Monty Hayton. Monty Hayton, just a, he is incredible. There you go. Thank that, you, Monty. That guy's work ethic and quality is, uh, yeah, I have I have just never worked with someone like him. Incredible, especially remote, right? Like he, mm. he is the, was the perfect remote partner for us um stylistically worked well with casey and i so yeah just a great match so he did this you know crazy um amount of work over over the holidays and then uh casey made that into reality uh in january and when we when we had that new version and showed it to claire and gia they were like okay the only thing you have left to do is sort of email sequences (laughs) um (laughs) and, and onboarding um and and we decided to launch. But of course, our first early access group was the end of February. Right. Um, after we'd sort of finished beta testing the new new UI and, and gotten the crawlers set up to, to be refreshing regularly. And uh, and that group performed extraordinarily. Like Scott, it was I don't know if you remember what life was like before this pandemic, but people had money. <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted to try things and like marketers wanted to invest brands wanted to spend on marketing it was extraordinary so we had almost a 5% paid sign up rate uh from our first early access group wow. which is nuts just yeah. incredible like we looked at the rest of the group and we were like wow we will we will beat our year 2 revenue estimates if the rest of our early access group behaves like this group and then of course coronavirus hit and um you know conversion rates dropped churn went up uh mm. yep people people That's couldn't good. spend anymore yeah but well, but we've still done okay i mean we're still we are significantly ahead of our year one budget so w- this product's doing well the company's doing well it's just a i, I think for us it's like this 
no, <laughs> we were almost, <laughs> it yeah, almost went so well. <laughs> but it is going, it is going well. And I think it there's, um, there, there is, um, again, in the, and I'd recommend people read this because it's such an interesting story just to, I guess, launch any business at this time, but particularly a, a software business, a, a, soft, a SaaS product. Um, so you, you did make a couple of decisions. There was, uh, that's really interesting to know the story of the original, the first user group and actually the history of that. Uh, and so I guess that leads us to the last couple of months where you've been preparing for launch. I read that you originally were going to launch, I think it was mid-March. Yep. Then you and Casey had some hesitance because of the pandemic, but ultimately you decided to go ahead and launch. I guess, can you uh, maybe describe to our listeners and for me, uh, what, what um how did you and Casey decide that now was the time and you couldn't wait any longer was there a pivotal moment a conversation that happened what led to you to just say do you know what we need to go ahead and launch this yeah I think look we knew we knew that we couldn't delay indefinitely um mm. you know like a lot of early stage startups we have some money in the bank but we were burning cash you know, even just uh, on the salary for the two of us and healthcare, right, which in the United States is is very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we knew we had to, you know, start making revenue. And we also knew we'd learn a lot, right? So, you know, even even without revenue, we we have to get a product out in front of the public and start learning how people are using it and what they want and what they don't want and improving it. Um, so sitting on it and, and kind of relying on beta testers indefinitely was not an option. What we wanted to do, and this was where our conversations uh, really happened on on the strategy side, is we wanted to wait until there was kind of some oxygen in the room for a non-pandemic related conversation. Right? We wanted to wait until people were ready to start talking and thinking about web marketing again and and software products again, right? And that. Um, COVID wasn't the only thing everyone was obsessed with. And so we, we waited, uh, basically a month and a little bit from our planned launch, uh, and determined that, that April 22nd was, was going to be launch date based on the return of traffic to our trending section. So Spark Toro has this like free, it's not even a tool, but it's, it's like a free, hacker news type of service for web marketing where people go and, you know, see what everyone's talking about in the web marketing world. Uh, we do that by connecting to uh, Twitter accounts for somewhere around 10,000 people, um, 10,000 web marketers, and then like whatever URLs they share. So this trending tool gets, you know, a thousand visits a day. People go and check kind of the news, but it was down below half that at the height of the pandemic's sort of news cycle in March. And once it started returning, we knew, okay, people are paying attention again. We also saw uh, Cortland Allen, who's a a friend, he runs IndieHackers.com. So their traffic started to return. And uh, Ryan from Product Hunt, same story, right? Product Hunt's traffic was going back up in April. And that's what gave us the confidence to launch. Yeah, that's... um... I think, yeah, just from a marketing perspective and seeing uh, our client websites and our website as well, this, a similar thing happened, that immediate downward trend in traffic, people perhaps adjusting to their new lives, they're working from home lives, and then eventually that confidence creeping back 
perhaps it's just into the economy, perhaps it's back into people's curiosity. But there's something you yeah. touched on, which I, think, which I think is really important. And this was in the blog post, uh, the launch post. And you said, um, ultimately, you feel like it's you design the product to help marketers. And there's no better time to help marketers than now. It's a really right. challenging time. Yeah. And that was something that resonated with me, because I think you're completely right. Um, I'm spending a lot of my time on helping with planning. You know, if you're um, an e- if you're an e-commerce website or you've just you're not generating revenue right now, you know we know this will pass, this will change, and so there's no better time to plan for the future. And so SparkToro is a great tool to help mm-hmm. you with some of that um, audience intelligence research and planning for the future. So I think that was a, I mean I I, I just think that was the right decision ultimately, and uh, I'm pleased yeah. that you launched because I got yeah. to experiment and play, which is amazing. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things one of the things we did is we made the free account um, significantly more more generous, right? So the free account now shows a lot more results than it did during the beta and early access, and uh, we gave people more searches. Um, so basically, we, we you know we kind of had this recognition like, look, a lot of people are going to potentially try the tool, but we want them to actually be able to get more value out of it, even for free. And so let's launch with a more generous free plan, uh, knowing that a ton of people just don't have the budget to do this thing at the paid level. And I, I think that was the right move. You know, it, I don't, I don't think it helped our conversion rates. I think we probably would have sold a few more subscriptions if we hadn't done that. But, um, but I think it was the right call. And yeah, we did this. You know, we did this other thing where we were like, gosh, how do we? how do we feel a little better about promoting a marketing software tool? And so we, we decided we would do this um, donation program where essentially for everybody who tried the tool, uh, we donated a dollar. And then one of our investors, the guys from 97th floor, uh, Chris and Wayne actually also matched that donation. So last, what was that Friday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Friday, we sent $20,000 to give directly, um, which also feels kind of awesome, right? It's sort of I wish a, I had. I wish I had. An, I'm going to clap. I don't know if this will pick it up on audio, but uh, I haven't got a, an applause on my soundboard. Otherwise, I play it. No, I thought that was amazing. I thought it was a really nice touch, and it, it ties in. I've forgotten the the way you phrase it, but it ties in with uh, the meaningful aspect of your mission statement that's on your website, which I also recommend people go and read. Um, yeah, so, I mean, so, a big part of yeah. the whole, a, a big part of the idea behind Spark Toro literally is. Let's give small and medium companies, small and medium-sized agencies, independent consultants, let's give them the data that historically only the big companies with huge budgets and big research teams have been able to get, right? Because we, look, I don't, I don't care about helping Fortune 500s. I just don't. Like, I cannot get excited about that. I know there's prestige. I know they have money, but I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I, I don't know. I want to live in a world where there's a lot more small businesses and independent folks making their living. And I just... Um, yeah, I've just never been excited about enterprise, um, in any way. And so, yeah, SparkToro, you know, ties very, very much into GiveDirectly's mission, which is essentially let's create this idea of universal basic income so that more people can be untethered from their jobs. Um, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, especially in the U S where your job is tied to your healthcare and let's help, you know, let's help people, build different kind of lives and businesses. Um, so it was a good, yeah, good philosophical match, good economic match. And I think, look, that's, you know, when you talk to me about like, well, what's the difference between Moz and SparkToro? And why did you do things this way and that way? I think a ton of it is just learning who I am and what gets me excited about building a business. And, it, you know, when it, when it fits with my values, I get excited about it. And when it doesn't, when it feels like there's conflict, I think that creates inner turmoil. It's, it's funny you use the word values. That was on the tip of my tongue. It's like the world has thrown you uh, this curveball of values. It's a test. Uh, are you going to hit a home run with your values or not? And so yeah. uh, the, ble- the blessing in disguise for your, for your values with the pandemic, because that's a true, that, that, there's no truer test of someone's values, a company's values right now than what everyone is going through. Um, right. So I, yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating way to look at it. You know, to in, in a way to be grateful for that challenge of your values because you've come out the other side now, and I think you can be proud of what you've done there uh, during the launch. Um, I'm curious in um, in the process uh, just prior to launch, and even now, just you know, you know, now we're talking post launch, a couple of weeks. Is there anything that you've learned about SparkTor that you just did completely didn't expect? Perhaps feedback from users or just functionality that you're enjoying that perhaps you just never realized you would enjoy as much? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, let's see. I think one of the one of the biggest lessons for me was uh, how folks were going to use it more for uh, advertising intelligence than I initially realized. Like, we, we did not um, make an intentional tie-in to you know, Facebook's uh, ad planner or the the Google ad system or YouTube's 
but a bunch of our users have been doing exactly that, right? They basically search mm-hmm. SparkToro, figure out their audiences, plug them into Facebook, see how big those audience groups are on Facebook and get, you know, get more uh, precise and accurate with their Facebook targeting. I think that's especially too, because the pandemic has depressed ad prices while growing ad inventory, right? We're all on mm-hmm. our computers even more and more. And uh, tons of marketers have cut their budget. So Facebook ad inventory is up, but prices are down. And so, th- you know, it's this huge ROI channel for the right sorts of players, especially e-commerce. Um, and seeing users do that, we're like, oh, crap, we, I don't know if we even had one beta tester who really used it that way. Hmm. Um, so that has definitely been uh, an interesting insight. Another one, I mean, we, I think we, we had a little bit of this um, knowledge beforehand, but so many people who don't speak English, who are not from English-speaking countries, are trying the product. And of course, we don't have coverage uh, or support. And so a lot of the support emails we get, a lot of the tweets we get are, when are you coming to, you know, Israel, Egypt, UAE, Turkey, uh, Latin America, South America. Um, yeah, I was talking to some folks from uh, Argentina the other day, talking to some folks from Singapore and Taiwan and just having that like, okay, okay, we, we want to get there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the hard, that must be really difficult to almost you've got to have the discipline to not launch into uh i guess non-english speaking countries until the time is right that must be well, really challenging I'm, yeah it's just you know first off we can we can test in english like we know what works and doesn't and you know we can run a bunch of queries all that kind of stuff but testing in you know whatever it is testing in mandarin or testing in turkish or testing in you know cyrillic character sets or in hebrew that is totally beyond our capability. And we would have to, you know, recruit folks from those local markets and then get them testing and build those programs. And that, you know, that requires budget and time. It requires a bunch more crawling and indexing of profiles and setting up all that stuff. So it's just a, um, it's one of those, like, you want to, you want to serve everybody with a product like this, especially when you know your audience includes such a wide group, but you also have to, you know, pick your battles. So on this topic, perhaps you could just explain a little bit more about who you think right now SparkToro is a good fit for. And uh, sure. we touched on the we touched on the language aspect, but perhaps who you think it's not as well suited to. Yeah, yeah. So SparkToro, let's see. An analogy I've been using a lot is SparkToro is great if you want to find what influences real estate agents. But it's terrible if you want to find what influences homeowners. And the reason that is true is because real estate agents self-describe on the internet, right? They put that in their bio. They put it in their title on LinkedIn. They talk about real estate-related subjects, whereas homeowners do not self-identify, right? No one has in their bio, not no one, but very, very few people self-describe as a homeowner and like talk about home ownership as their um, you know, as an attribute of themselves, mm-hmm. uh, people who are interested in comic books talk about comic books. People who are interested in plumbing talk a little less about that. Um, people who are interested in—I don't know. This is a ridiculous example, but um, let's say non. Uh, 
you know, um, non-standard sex kinks. That, like that doesn't happen in public social media very much, right? And so it's yeah. tough to find those kinds of audience rights. If there's something that's either not talked about because it's too generic or not talked about because it's shameful or not something people take pride in or just boring, um, but not in a, um, yeah, just not in an online discussed kind of way, SparkToro <laughs> struggles a little bit more. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of where you want to break it up. And look, if you if you are only serving one audience and you already know that audience extremely well, using SparkToro probably won't tell you all that much that you don't know. You might find, you know, some interesting sources. You probably run a few searches around your audience and maybe you'll get a lot of value there, but you probably don't need more than the free account. Mm-hmm. Right? The people who tend to be paying us for uh, those upgraded accounts are folks like content marketing agencies who they're launching new content in new sectors, targeting new audiences all the time, right? Every week for their clients, they're doing that work. Um, and so they they need that data. Uh, folks who are in PR who are constantly launching new announcements and trying to reach uh, new groups and looking for creative ways to reach um the audience that their clients want to reach, absolutely, uh, especially because PRs have been so limited by the classic PR databases, which are really kind of a holdover from the last century of you know traditional media and journalism, as opposed to the you know podcasts and YouTube channels and blogs and social accounts and you know all these new channels that reach audiences. Um, and then we've seen a lot of in-house uh, marketers use. SparkToro essentially to guide their internal strategy around how they um, media buy, media plan, uh, and do their marketing, um, uh, which we call it, uh, how they assign their budgets, right? Okay. How much yeah. are we going to spend? Yeah, yeah. How much are we going to spend on sponsor? You know, podcast sponsorship. How much are we going to spend on? Uh, YouTube, what are we going to do in terms of guest content? What are we going to do in terms of website sponsorships? What are we going to do in terms of um, social outreach? And blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm. So I think that. The, the, uh, the, yeah, the, one of the most fascinating use cases, um, which you, I think you maybe touched upon in there, but I think um, has been really valuable for me so far, and I think will be even more valuable into the future, is actually testing your own assumptions about your own <laughs> audience. Um, yeah, yeah. So putting your own website through the tool and uh, just helping you understand where your audience are hanging out. And it really does open your eyes. Um, Up until now, you know, there's lots of those, I think, conversations. You sit around a table and I think our audience is this. You know, you you may want to market to new audiences, but you've got the analysis of your existing audience. And now uh, SparkToro would actually show you that. And uh, I found that really valuable. And I think it's something that, um, if there's anyone using this tool for the first time, perhaps off the back of this podcast, I'd recommend that you go in, maybe perhaps put your own website through, um, perhaps a competitor's website and start looking at the audiences from that angle, because that can be a really interesting starting point to test some of your own assumptions. Um, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite use cases is the, like the classic CEO in the boardroom situation. Doesn't yeah. have to be a CEO, right? But let's say, let's say you're a marketer at an agency, right? Like, um, 
uh, light site visibility and you you walk into that boardroom and the CMO is there and uh, he or she says, you know, oh, well, I want to uh, get us in the Wall Street Journal. So let's put together a, you know, a package that how we're going to get into the Wall Street Journal. And you kind of look at each other like, we know, like, we know that's not where our audience is. Why, mm. why does the CMO want to get there? And it's because the CMO reads the Wall Street Journal. So they think it must be an important place. And until you can bring data to that conversation, right? Until you can say, okay, here's the Wall Street Journal. It's read by 4% of the audience you told us you wanted to reach. Here is this, you know, uh, niche publication, niche trade publication. It's read by 18% of the audience you said you want to reach. Maybe we should prioritize that first, mm. right? And then, and then the CML goes, you know, I think you're right. <laughs> that, that, that does that does look like it will have a much higher ROI and get me the you know the bonus that I'm looking for versus the puff piece in the in the Wall Street Journal. All right, <laughs> there you go. You, 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 <laughs> you'll appreciate this example. It's just come to mind actually. You touching on that topic um, is I ran some visibility through the tool, and guess who came back as uh, someone we should perhaps calibrate with yourself <laughs> right <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh and moz was on there as well which is fascinating um which is so so surprising, I, right like those are you know um myself and moz exactly. right sort of well followed in the digital marketing web marketing industry and so yeah like that's a you know I, not to toot my own horn right but like if you can go and plug your site in and see that there is someone in your field who is really really well followed by the audience that cares about what you're doing and you can invite them to be a guest on your podcast or to contribute to your website or you can do some co-marketing together it doesn't have to be paid right this is basically like a you know an opportunity to find uh real synergy i don't i don't love that word but but real <laughs> connections that make sense to your audience and that are going to bring you know, an audience that cares about what I'm doing with SparkToro and what you're doing with site visibility together. And that's, that's kind of a, you know, what, what more could you want in marketing? Yeah. So there's a couple of um, quick tips for people that perhaps are going to use this for the first time after this podcast or have used it recently. Uh, are there any yeah like useful tips that you can give for people to get the most out of the tool for their first or second time uses? Sure. Yeah. I, well, I mean, one thing, <laughs> one thing to really keep in mind with SparkToro is that your first few searches, you might be frustrated about whether you're perfectly reaching the right audience, right? It might be because, you know, you plug in frequently talks about, um, let's say you're trying to reach owners of classic B&Bs, right? And, and help them figure out their strategies going forward in a tourism light environment and, and what they're going to do, right? So, you might plug in, um, my audience frequently talks about bed and breakfasts. And then you realize, ah, shoot, you know what? I'm actually getting a bunch of tourism boards um, back and they are speaking to uh, the wrong, right? Not the, quite the right audience. And so th th then you try some other searches. You know, my audience um, includes in their, uh, sorry, uses these words in their profile, B and B. And then you find a bunch of Airbnb owners and you're like, no, that's not who I wanted. And one really good tip for when you have this frustrating experience of like, I can't quite figure it out is use an audience, sorry, use a competitor. doesn't have to be a direct competitor, 
but just someone who reaches the audience you want to reach. So if you know that the Innkeepers Association of America reaches bed and breakfast owners, you can plug them in as follows the social account or visits the website, and you will get back that audience. And then you can start to identify more sources and use them as the input. So that that kind of competitive source is often a way to circumvent the, I don't have a great or perfect way to describe my audience uh, in a few words. You can use a group that already captures them. Yeah, as an additional tip, just uh, following on from that point, is what I've found is that for websites that perhaps don't receive a lot of traffic, perhaps they're not well linked, but they have a good social following, is don't be disheartened if you put through your website or a competitor's website in the, I think it's frequently visits this website, and instead perhaps put their Twitter handle through or their Instagram uh, URL yep. through. Facebook, and you can yeah. Still, yeah, or Facebook, and you can still draw insights that way. And I found yeah. that particularly useful for yeah websites that perhaps you didn't have a lot of data on, um, but social accounts that you did. Um, and yeah, that, that that's a great one. Insight. Yeah, because this um, is basically we only, you know, we only show data about a website if someone has... Um, shared or linked to or engaged with a share or a link to a website more than once. And so if your website isn't kind of popular in the, um, you know, in the social and web graph, you will oftentimes not have much data. I had this happen to me yesterday with someone from the, um, who was trying to reach uh, the Quebec basically visitors to Quebec. And um, we were like, yeah, we, you know, we have like 60 people who've ever shared the website for this particular province, um, or engaged with a share of that website, but you plug in their social account, and we had, you know, a few 1000 people. And so that, that made for much better data. Yeah, that's amazing use case. And um, in terms of, I guess, now we're now we are three weeks post launch, how do you, how are you spending your time? What what happens post launch? What do you, what are you finding you're spending most of your time on? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing um, a good bit of sort of you know launch related marketing, and um, and then I'm also our only support person, <laughs> so I spend uh-huh. plenty of time helping people use the tool and get more value from it. Talk to a bunch of folks who are kind of interested in. API and business development stuff um, have been uh, particularly busy the last few weeks. I agreed to do a lot of webinars, including a few for charity. Um, you know, I think when the when the pandemic hit, I was, you know, like everybody, broadsided, but but just wanted to help, and so I agreed to. I, I was telling my wife Geraldine that, like, I agreed to do everything, right? Anything anybody asked me to do, I just said yes. Like, how can I help? How can I help? And. Uh, the last few weeks, that's come back to bite me a little bit, um, just in terms of having having very limited time. And uh, but yeah, I think should be coming out of that in the next few weeks, and then we'll be thinking a little more long term about um, SparkToro and you know what are we what are we going to build for the next few iterations? What's really valuable to customers? Um, and and then. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully have more new stuff to show this summer. On that note, um, in terms of feature requests, that's something that always fascinates me. I always love to know what's behind the scenes when it comes to feature requests. So Ooh. I guess uh, two questions here. Um, what has been your most requested feature so far? Maybe if you could speak a little bit on that. And uh, what feature would you love to see in the tool yourself that maybe you haven't quite got it nailed down yet, but you're excited for it in the future? 
Yeah. Uh, let's see. Number one requested feature is a really simple one. It's um, uh, good looking PDF export reports instead of uh, just CSV download. Mm. So I think that one uh, Casey's actually working on. It's a little more challenging than it sounds, but it is something um, something that's coming. The thing that I want to see is I'm really interested in tracking over time. So I think that some of our customers will find it really valuable to be able to run a search for an audience and then say, track this audience over time, and we show them changes in the data. So for example, you know, let's say um, software architects in Canada start following some new social accounts or start sharing and visiting and linking to some new websites, uh, or they start changing up the, you know, maybe maybe the um, pandemic means fewer of them put AI and machine learning in their bio and more of them start putting, um, you know, other new buzz phrases and words and tactics in there. Uh, and, and we could show that data over time in graph form and in, uh, in the text data. I think there would be some, uh, some customers who'd really love to see that. And I'm super curious about it because I've seen it myself, even with mm -hmm. like digital marketers um, sort of changing, changing up a little bit about what they follow um, and share and link to and talk about and describe themselves as over the last 90 days, 100 days. Yeah, that's fascinating. I hadn't actually thought about that using the tool, but that would be yeah, really useful data to have to know whether something is on a, an upward trend or a downward trend right. in terms of the audience. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's like, you know, maybe there's a podcast that's relatively new and it's not very mm -hmm. well followed, but it is rising fast and uh, you yeah. want to catch it. You know, you want to catch it on the upswing, not wait until it's kind of top 10 in your field before you start doing advertising or biz dev or whatever it is. Oh, that's something really exciting to look forward to. Uh, I would just want to say thank you. You've been so generous with your time. <laughs> oh, so we'll no, wrap up here. Uh, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. And I think you've got something great on your hands. For everyone oh, uh, that wants to find out more about Rand, you can go to sparktoro.com. Uh, I think your SparkToro is the handle on all social platforms. And Rand, just thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Scott. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, wish you and the site visibility folks all the best. Brilliant. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.